pediatric congenital heart disease is relatively common. We think occurring in approximately 1% of newborns worldwide. One in 100 newborns is born with some type of congenital heart disease. Yet, although common, parents must know there's nothing that they could have done differently and there's not something that they did during pregnancy to cause it. So, unfortunately, there really isn't anything to do to modify the risk. And hear from a mother whose son had it. And unfortunately, we knew that when he was born, he was going to need open heart surgery. But is making something beautiful from it. Project Bubaloo is here to bring congenital heart disease awareness. Discover pediatric congenital heart disease and Project Bubaloo inside this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. Welcome to CTSI Discovery Radio. I'm your host, Brian Belmer. CTSI Discovery Radio is brought to you by the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin. The CTSI is a consortium of researchers, doctors, scientists, and others representing eight institutions, including the Medical College of Wisconsin, Milwaukee School of Engineering, Marquette University, the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, Children's Wisconsin, Freydert Hospital, Versity Blood Center of Wisconsin, and the Zablocki VA Medical Center. The CTSI works collaboratively across all of our member institutions. Our mission is advancing health through research and discovery. Congenital heart disease, or CHD, is the single most common birth defect and the number one cause of birth defect-related deaths among children in the U.S. But as common of a disease as it is, public awareness of CHD is disproportionately less common. So today, we learn about it from an expert. Dr. Stephanie Handler is an assistant professor, Department of Pediatrics, Division of Cardiology, at the Medical College of Wisconsin, and a pediatric cardiologist with the Herma Heart Institute at Children's Wisconsin. Dr. Handler begins by first giving a general overview of what congenital heart disease is. Disease refers to a group of heart conditions that are present at birth, and these conditions affect the structure and function of the heart, involving abnormalities in the heart walls, valves, or blood vessels. Some are mild in nature, and some are moderate to severe in nature. Many children born with congenital heart disease can receive appropriate treatment, and some others have more severe disease that cannot be cured, and instead we use a series of palliative surgeries to try to adjust to as normal a quality of life as possible. It's probably more common than you think. Congenital heart disease is relatively common. We think occurring in approximately 1% of newborns worldwide. The incidence is probably similar between countries. In the United States, we typically think that 1 in 100 newborns is born with some type of congenital heart disease. In fact, it's more common than many other childhood diseases. Which I think speaks to the fact that the majority and the most common types of defect are actually quite mild in nature or can be treated because most of the children with congenital heart disease are able to undergo surgical correction where they can live a normal life and normal life expectancy. Which is encouraging news in cases where children have a milder form. Next, Dr. Handler shares insight on some of the different types of CHD. 
beginning with ventricular septal defects. Ventricular septal defect is actually the most common type of congenital heart defect. It involves a hole in the wall that separates the heart's lower two chambers that are called ventricles. When there's a hole between the bottom two chambers of the heart, extra blood can circulate within the heart and lungs, and it makes the heart work over time. Many times, infants with large ventricular septal defects do need it repaired within the first six months of life, but we do typically think of this as a type of condition that can be cured. With surgical correction of a VSD, these patients do go on to live a normal life. Then, there are atrial septal defects. Defect is a hole that's separating the heart's upper chambers, the two atria. This defect tends to be even more mild in nature than a ventricular septal defect because less blood is able to recirculate through the heart within these lower pressure upper chambers. Often, atrial septal defects aren't even detected at birth, but instead are picked up because there's signs of heart enlargement when the kids are a little bit older. Sometimes in adulthood, the first symptoms will appear with the heart working extra hard and some extra blood flow through the lungs. Regardless of the age of presentation, an ASD is also one that is closed either with surgical correction or we have ways to close an atrial septal defect without open heart surgery in the cath lab by placing a device within the heart to close the hole. Next are singular ventricle defects, which she describes as the most complicated type of congenital heart disease. It refers to a group of congenital heart disease that results in the heart malformation only having one ventricle or one pumping chamber. When there's only one chamber of the heart that can function as a pumping chamber, we need to reroute the blood so that that pumping chamber focuses on pumping blood to the body. Because a healthy heart has two ventricles pumping blood, one to our lungs, the other to our body. And so... When there's only one ventricle, we focus on maintaining good pumping to the body from that ventricle, and then oftentimes we have to do a series of surgeries to reroute the blood to the lungs outside the heart. This is the type of heart disease that we cannot cure. This is the type of heart disease that requires lifelong monitoring that may limit life expectancy, and many patients go on to need a heart transplant in the future because of complications related to the single ventricle heart disease. There's a condition known as Tetralogy of Fallot, a combination of four congenital heart defects. We now know that those four defects are all caused by a certain malposition of the ventricular septum that separates the bottom two chambers, resulting in outflow obstruction of blood to the lungs. So these are babies who actually often present at birth with lower oxygen saturations than normal, and it does require a corrective surgery early in life. Because there's problems with the valve that leads out to the lungs, patients who undergo tetralogy of flow repair often need surgery later in life for valve replacement. One type of CHD that is particularly critical is known as total anomalous pulmonary venous return. Most defects are not surgical emergencies when babies are diagnosed or born, but total anomalous pulmonary venous return is a condition where the flow of blood from the lungs back to the heart can be restricted or obstructed. When that happens, it is the one true surgical emergency that still exists within our field. So if a baby is born with this condition and the blood is not able to flow out of the lungs, we get them to the operating room as quickly as we can confirm the diagnosis. And the most critical type of CHD is called hypoplastic 
atrophic left heart syndrome. It is a type of single ventricle congenital heart disease that requires a complete reconstruction of the aortic arch, which supplies blood to the body. It's the most critical because of the need for the extensive surgery in the neonatal period and because that surgery still has the highest mortality of any congenital heart surgery that we do. Can a child be born with more than one CHD condition? Yes, it is possible for a child to be born with more than one type of congenital heart disease. They often occur simultaneously, and the defects can be in different parts of the heart, such as the walls or valves. The occurrence really can vary in the severity and complexity. It's often that we find if patients have valve problems or holes within the heart that they occur in conjunction. If it's congenital in nature and we find it at birth, there's defects that can be corrected at the same time, it's less common to find something that develops later in life than our patients with congenital heart disease. What causes a congenital heart disease to occur? The exact causes of congenital heart disease are often unknown, but we do believe that a combination of genetic and environmental factors play a role. What is known is that there are certain genetic syndromes that we know have a high association with congenital heart disease. The most common is in patients with Down syndrome, where at least half of the patients do have some form of congenital heart disease. Often resulting in genetic testing on patients with CHD. To see if we can find a specific genetic cause, and typically we don't, but I can tell you there's a lot of research that's invested in this area to try to understand not only the implications for a certain family, but if there's anything that's modifiable in the future or treatable based on a certain genetic condition. But since causes are generally unknown, risk factors are unknown as well. Most of the time, we reassure parents there's nothing that they could have done differently, and there's not something that they did during pregnancy to cause it. And I think that's really powerful when we speak that way to families, because even if a patient does have what we find to be a genetic cause, oftentimes the first person in the family to have it was the patient with congenital heart disease, not that mom or dad gave it to a patient. So unfortunately, there really isn't anything that we can tell families to do to modify the risk. How and when is congenital heart disease typically diagnosed? The most serious types of congenital heart disease are usually diagnosed prenatally. Obstetricians and ultrasonographers are trained to do several views of the heart to ensure that there's no major malformations. And if anything concerning is detected from the ultrasound to our fetal cardiology team who perform fetal echocardiograms or ultrasounds of the heart, and they're able to diagnose congenital heart disease before the babies are born. Which is vitally important for planning delivery, planning for life after, being able to provide the family with counseling. It's so important to have that time to prepare. So we follow those fetuses and our team is able to care for the patient and the family even before they're born. However, some CHDs, such as ventricular septal defects, are often detected after the baby is born. Typically, the babies tend to breathe faster because the heart's working extra hard. So we're often looking for changes in growth velocity, inability for the babies to feed full bottles or to gain weight. Or if the pediatricians hear a heart murmur, which is an extra heart sound, then they place a referral to see us to diagnose congenital heart disease. As far as treatments for congenital heart diseases among children... with the valves, holes within the heart, single ventricle heart disease do all involve cardiac surgery, which involves the heart-lung machine, opening up the sternum to access the heart, and then using patch material or sutures or artificial valves to fix the heart. Although, for atrial septal defects, we're able to 
do closure in the cardiac catheterization lab, so there's no open heart surgery required, but instead we place a device within the heart going through the vessels from the outside, and so that's been a really incredible advancement in the treatment of congenital heart disease to be able to avoid bypass surgery. What's the success of these surgical interventions? Most of the time with mild or even moderate defects, we are very successful with surgical or interventional palliation. In minor congenital heart disease where we expect to have the best results, the survival after that type of heart surgery is close to 100%. But Dr. Handler says for some of the more complex forms of CHD, the survival from the first surgery, which is the most complicated, is about 85%. And so the success and the survival really depends on the type. And there's still so much work to be done in the future, especially for those high-risk heart disease, where we're not yet at a place where we can claim victory and close to 100% survival. Can someone with CHD live a full life like someone with a healthy heart? That's our goal. And with the patients who have mild defects that are correctable with early surgery, that is the expectation. My goal is that they go to kindergarten and no one ever knows they had heart surgery. And many of them go on in adolescence and early adulthood, performing at a level of athletics that's equal to their peers, and go on to hold jobs and be married and have children of their own. And while it's not a guarantee for every child with congenital heart disease... We are successful in doing that for many of our patients, even with the most severe types of heart disease. So much so that today... We have an entire population of patients who had surgery when they were children who are now adults living with congenital heart disease. Through ongoing research, future discoveries are hoped to be made, not the least of which is... Basic science research that's looking at the genetic mechanisms behind congenital heart disease to see if in the future we could target medical therapy to address that specific cause. We're not really there yet with that type of precision medicine, but I think that's what everyone would hope for in the future, that you could get tailored treatment. If you want to learn more, here at the Hermaheart Institute on our website, we have a variety of links for patient families to learn about specific heart conditions. There's also Conquering CHD, and they see themselves as the voice of the congenital heart patient and their family. Those would be really great resources for the listeners who want to learn more about congenital heart disease. For those of us not personally impacted by CHD, Dr. Handler asks that the community around them provides emotional and social support for the families and those living with heart disease. And for the children and their families who are impacted. They're resilient. They can overcome obstacles. Don't look at someone as just having congenital heart disease, but see them for all their other attributes. With a better understanding of congenital heart disease, we hear from a mother whose child was not only born with CHD, but with one of its most serious forms. However, we'll discover how this sometimes ugly disease produced something beautiful. Let's meet her now. My name is Callie Chira. I live in Oak Creek, Wisconsin with my husband, Nick, and my daughter, Sloan, who is a happy little two-year-old. And in my professional life, I work as a professor at Marquette University in the College of Nursing. I also work part-time as a nurse practitioner, so that keeps me pretty busy. Classic understatement. But in order to truly understand where Callie's life is today, we must learn about her firstborn, a son named... The best way to describe him is he was an old soul. You just looked at this kid and he had the biggest brown eyes. And everybody that would come into his room would say, look at his eyes, because he was just looking into you. 
but you saw his personality through that. And I want to believe, I do believe that he knew that I loved him very, very much. And he loved me and we had a relationship. We bonded in a very unique way. A unique bond with a boy whose life from the very beginning was never easy. Callie says it began with fertility issues. You kind of picture certain things and you want certain things. And when I started having issues with fertility, you know, that was really hard because up until that point, I'd never been really told no. So when I had a hard time getting pregnant, for me, that was a huge blow. And the thought of not being able to be a parent is devastating. Eventually, Callie did become pregnant. To get pregnant, I had to go through some fertility treatment. And the first thing we did, it worked. And I got pregnant. But that initial euphoric feeling of, Oh my gosh, okay, I'm pregnant. I've been wanting to be pregnant for two years. Was short-lived. And Callie says excitement gave way to skepticism. I'm a very follow-your-gut sort of person. I really strongly follow that intuition. When I got pregnant, I knew... Okay, we've been trying for two years, and then all of a sudden, this happened that fast. No way, because up until that point, it had been very difficult. Her 20-week ultrasound confirmed her suspicions. The ultrasound tech started bringing up fluid around the kidneys, and maybe there's a hole in his heart. And I just kind of, in my head, went, yep, I knew it. I knew something was wrong which was confirmed by her OBGYN. She had said, we're seeing a lot of abnormalities, three, four, or five things that are making us worried about a genetic thing happening. We don't know what, but there's definitely something going on with the heart. Then by high-risk pregnancy experts. We came under the care of providers at the Herma Heart Institute at Children's Wisconsin. And that's where we got the definitive diagnosis of TAPVR, or Total Anomalous Pulmonary Venous Return. Dr. Stephanie Handler told us earlier, Total anomalous pulmonary venous return is a condition where the flow of blood from the lungs back to the heart can be restricted or obstructed. It is the one true surgical emergency that still exists within our field. And unfortunately, just our luck, we knew that when he was born, he was going to need open heart surgery. Although the diagnosis was serious, doctors remained positive. They gave us a lot of hope said, we can fix this. You're going to be in the hospital for a few months. So even though I was scared, I was getting good news. Still, Callie's doubts remained. It was devastating and stressful because this wasn't going to be an easy journey. And in my head, I kept thinking, yep, I knew it. I knew it. This was going to happen. It was a really dark period for me. And she focused on what she could. I felt like when I was pregnant, I could keep him safe. And I felt like I need to get him big because I knew the bigger he was going to be, the stronger he was going to be for surgery. But even being a nurse couldn't fully comfort her. The thought of doing surgery on a baby just seems very, very scary. And I've seen people having open heart surgery. So the thought of that being a little baby was mind blowing to me. And I'm so thankful that there are providers that can actually do that. Where Callie did find comfort was in sharing her experience with those closest to her. I was very open about things with people. That makes me feel better and more supported. I felt very supported by everyone around me, my family, my work family at Marquette. I just felt like everyone was on our team. Then, before her due date, Theo was born. I did not make it full term. He was due in November and my water broke middle of the night in late September and I knew 
that that was bad. At that time, I was barely eight months pregnant. I was at 32 weeks. Upon arriving at the hospital... They were going to try to keep him inside to keep him growing. But a couple days later, they induced me on September 27, 2017. Callie shares her recollections of Theo's delivery. I had a really quick delivery, but I was in an OR. I had probably 40 people in the room with me, including a group from the NICU, a group from the cardiac ICU, from children, multiple anesthesiologists, multiple OBGYNs, and then the surgical team from Children's ready to go if Theo needed surgery right then and there. Which, it was decided, he didn't. They took him out. He was a dark blue. They did intubate him right away and he got more pink, and they decided that he was stable enough and probably would not need surgery right then and there. Theo was rushed to the pediatric cardiac ICU, Callie to a recovery room. And nobody was there. My ex-husband went with Theo, and then I was just sitting there after this incredible situation of delivering a baby in front of all of these people, and then all of a sudden, for about 20 minutes, I was sitting there by myself. And the whole world had changed. Left alone with only her thoughts on what just happened. It was the most surreal moment ever. Not knowing if he was okay, not knowing what was happening. And it was definitely a trauma. It wasn't happy, it wasn't sad, it was just, whoa. Someone probably should have stayed in the room with me. Thoughts that no parent, especially a brand new parent, should ever have to face. As a new parent, you feel like you're supposed to have the instantaneous love for this kid. And all I remember thinking is, I'm a mom now, but I don't even remember what he looks like. Am I supposed to love him right now? I've spent eight months with him inside my body, and now he's gone, and I don't know if he's dead or alive. What if he dies? Do I want to get to know him? That sounds terrible, but it's true. I mean, that's opening yourself up to, like, the worst pain ever. Although Theo didn't require it immediately upon his birth, life-saving surgery was imminent. The scary thing about Theo's situation is that he was only three pounds. So him being as small as he was, I mean, you're doing open-heart surgery on a premature baby. And if they didn't, he was going to die. And so Theo had open-heart surgery. But I had such confidence in the team at Children's. And the next morning after I had Theo, I remember going to his room and the anesthesiologist that was taking him into surgery that morning had looked at me and told me, there is a 50% chance that we're not going to come back. All of a sudden, that 100% confidence went down to at least 50. Once again, faced with the reality. That he might die and I'm never going to know him. So letting him leave, I knew I had to because we didn't have a choice, right? He's going to go into surgery. All you can do is hope and pray. Theo beat the odds and survived the surgery. It was a really long day. We kept getting good news. And I just kept thinking, okay, he's small, but he's mighty and he's going to make it through. And he did. A definite victory. But Theo was still very critical. He got out of surgery, and they essentially told us he was going to be very, very critically ill. And even though I had been a nurse for 10 years at that point, I did not realize how sick he actually was after his surgery. When Callie could see her little boy... He came out with an open chest, so you could actually see his heart beating. Yeah, wasn't really prepared for that. 
all you could do is sit there. I wasn't holding him. You couldn't really touch him. It was a lot of sitting and a lot of looking and a lot of thinking on what the heck just happened. And what the heck was going to happen. The second he opened his eyes, he started to look like a real baby. We just got to be tough. Give him time to recover from this. But the time Theo needed to recover was also time that revealed more harsh realities for Callie. He literally didn't have an ear on the right side. He just had this little area of tissue. And when I saw his ear, that derailed me emotionally. A realization that his chromosomal abnormality was a bigger deal than we thought. He didn't have an ear. And for me, that was a bigger deal than this open heart surgery. Over the following days and weeks, we kept getting more of that. His thyroid wasn't working. His intestines were twisted around the wrong way. Just thing after thing after thing. I was already overwhelmed by the heart thing, but there was all these other things lining up behind it. Culminating in the ultimate realization that my kid is sick. He's going to have issues forever. Still, He brought her so much joy. He started to see his personality and looking around and he would look at you and I held him any chance that I could. And I felt like he felt comfy when I did hold him. I have one video of him giving me like a smile. And it's moments like that, letting Callie know that she did indeed build a bond with Theo. I loved him a million times more than any parent could ever love their kid. It's just kind of this slow, organic process that happens over time. And that bond becomes stronger and stronger. Now I look back and in spite of all of that, our time together in the hospital, I did bond with my kid. It wasn't like probably everyone else's experience, but I still found that love and I still found that bond with him. It just looked different. Sadly, after six months, Theo succumbed to his battle. But in his final days, Callie had an idea. All I wanted was for us to get out of there. He never got that. I mean, we literally were in this room for six months straight. The only time he ever left was for surgery. So Callie arranged for Theo's first and only moment outside. Captured in a photo, she now cherishes. I just remember it being a very comfortable, sunny day. That picture, you can see the light shining on his face. That was, sorry, that was me saying goodbye because he died that next morning. She reflects. It was such a bittersweet, beautiful thing that's forever going to be one of the worst, but moments in my life. During his brief life, Callie had a nickname for Theo, who she affectionately refers to as her Bubaloo. For whatever reason, Bubaloo just flowed off the tongue. It's something that he responded to. You know, you saw his face kind of light up and respond to when I was talking to him. And so Bubaloo just kind of stuck. It made sense after he passed that we would use that as how we were going to honor him because that word for me means love. With her son now gone, she set out to create something in his memory. Theo did not get to live. He lived for six months, but he didn't get to live, live. And I am doing wrong by him if I don't do something good in his honor. Otherwise, what does it mean? What was all that for? Today, the memory of Theo and his nickname take on a whole new meaning in the form of Project Bubaloo. Project Bubaloo is here 
to bring congenital heart disease awareness to the community. And supporting research toward achieving that goal. We actually created a Project Babu Research Grant Committee choosing applicants for our grant. So last year we were able to fund two research projects. Full descriptions of those projects can be found on our website. ProjectBubaloo.org where you can see our impact, you can get to know our team, you can see Theo's story. We're really proud of what that looks like. Proud of the impact Project Bubaloo is making on congenital heart disease. These kids hide their scars under their shirts, but I guarantee that you know somebody with congenital heart disease. You do. You have to. It's one in a hundred kids. And even if you didn't before, you know one now. I want Theo to be remembered as somebody who came to the world and created change bigger than all of us. And I'm so proud of him. And that brings us to the end for this edition of CTSI Discovery Radio. As always, thanks to both of our guests for appearing on today's show, Dr. Stephanie Handler, and special thanks to Callie for introducing us to her son, Theo. I hope you've discovered something by listening to today's show. And I'm doubly hopeful that you'll join us again next time. CTSI Discovery Radio airs the third Friday of every month. Make an appointment on your calendar and join us for each episode. On behalf of the Clinical and Translational Science Institute of Southeast Wisconsin and all of our affiliate partners and members, I'm Brian Belmer, wishing you happier, healthier days ahead. For more information about research or to listen to the podcast of this or any of our shows on demand, please visit our website at ctsi.mcw.edu. CTSI Discovery Radio is written, produced, and hosted by Brian Belmer in collaboration with WMSE Radio. The CTSI and this program are under the direction of Dr. Reza Shakir.